0: Hello, Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Cook Thoughts Podcast. I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, On this episode, I get to interview Stephanie Burt. Stephanie is the host of the Southern Fork Podcast and a writer based in Charleston, South Carolina. Her work has appeared in numerous publications, including Savor, Washington Post, CNN's Parts Unknown, Condé Nast Traveler, and the Southern Food Waste Alliance's Gravy. She focuses on researching heirloom ingredients, interviewing passionate culinary makers, and when she's in the kitchen, perfecting her roasted chicken recipe. And on this episode, uh, I really wanted to have her on, much like uh, having on other creators in this food industry space. I really wanted to talk to her about how she got her podcast uh, going and how she is doing through uh, this quarantine period. Um, I do think it's super important to, you know, obviously support chefs, but also support the people that keep food media interesting and uh, keep us uh, inspired during this. And I do think her work is something that inspires a lot of people. So I really wanted to have Stephanie on for that. I really thought it was a great conversation. It was really nice getting to know her, and I'm very excited for future collaborations with her. Um, Before we get into the podcast, I do want to say that I have been starting uh, some public writing. I write on Medium now. You can find me under uh, Raymond Delucci is the page I'm under, and I recently wrote an article about my grandfather who has passed away a couple years ago, and he meant a lot for me in terms of inspiration to cooking, and it really meant a lot for me to write that article because it kind of helped me, I guess, process his impact on me and it would mean a ton if you would read it and give me some feedback on how I've been doing in writing Uh, it is something I'd like to do long term and I really value y'all's opinion on how I write and yeah if you want to try it out feel free but I do want to thank Stephanie for coming on I really do hope you all are staying safe and let's get into the show Hey, Stephanie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Ray. It's nice to be here.
0: Of course. Um, I really wanted to have you on uh, because basically during this time, I've been trying to connect with a bunch of different people. And uh, one of the, the, I guess, groups of people I wanted to talk to were creators around the food industry. Um, You know, I had before Justin Kana and Andrew Friedman. And the reason I'm having them on and the reason why I wanted to have you on is because uh, during this pandemic, during this time... I think the people that are going to help us get through it the most are people who are, you know, putting out content that inspires cooks um, to stay motivated during all this. So I really wanted to chat with you to kind of get the origin story behind the podcast and really just see how you're doing and how everything's been. So if you just want to introduce yourself, that would be great.
1: Yes. Well, my name is Stephanie. You are correct there. Um, I uh, live in Charleston, South Carolina, and I... Primarily, I am a food writer, which is what led me to the world of podcasting. I've been in and out of um, writing for magazines and publications since I was 18 years old, which let me tell you, wasn't like three years ago. So, (laughs) I am definitely a mid career writer, and um, I, as a freelance food writer, I just know that I often have to spend a lot of time that I really know is a joy uh, connecting with people in the culinary landscape. And so I'll spend time talking to chefs or a chef, and then they only get two or three quotes in an article. And that's not really um, good or bad, that's just kind of the way writing is um mm-hmm. but i knew that there was i had a real connection i had a real like i got to go in the kitchen behind the line so to speak and i really wanted to invite people back there with me to invite more people into our culinary culture really kind of behind the scenes so that people could understand who is cooking and making the things that they, or growing the things that they um, consume.
0: Okay. I mean, that's really interesting. Um, I guess I haven't really thought about it that way in terms of, you know, when like you said, when you do have an article, it really is only a couple of quotes, but it's usually the voice of the person writing. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's a good reason to get into podcasting.
1: Well, and I've, I mean, my personal theory, which I will tell you anytime I have more than a glass and a half of wine, or even now <laughs> when I haven't had any wine, is that I think that's what the the popularity of the food network is, is that we, you know, we, we grew up a few generations ago. We knew who cooked our food. It was our family, you know, so you grew mm-hmm. up with grandma in the kitchen mostly every day, but as we've become more of a restaurant culture, uh, which is something that I don't think is a bad thing. It's just a shift. Um, we have lost, you know, for a long time, those walls were in between the diner and the the cook so we couldn't even see who was cooking our food and i think there's a longing there's a human interest to make that connection through this this food and drink um and to have that connection we want to know who's doing that so welcome the rise of the celebrity chef right
0: yeah definitely i definitely agree and um you know what like you said i think i i guess we can get into it later a little bit um, the worry of I mean, I I don't know, we can talk about it now, but there is a worry for me in terms of, you know, after this is all said and done, how the chef is viewed, not necessarily good or bad, but, you know, I feel like we have been building towards this uh, ultimate view of the chef as a celebrity or as an icon, in which some respects, Mm -hmm. a lot of these chefs do deserve that. Um, But now with Mm -hmm. our industry collapsing and, you know, with literally millions unemployed, I mean, I i hope I would hope that the excitement of being a chef doesn't go go away uh during this time of hardship.
1: I think that that's a very viable point um it I do think that it it has to temper that excitement and and I think that maybe that that's a good thing um at least in this moment um because I think anybody, including yourself and all of your colleagues who work day to day in restaurants, you know that um, it is kind of a volatile industry, correct? I mean, you know, people, restaurants close, um, people change hands, people, you know, get fired, people, I mean, you know, it's it's just a lot of moving about and stuff, and I think Thinking something like this is just really easy. You can go to culinary school and then you can get on television and then you get famous and you have your own restaurant and you make millions of dollars is really not reality. And it's never been reality in, in American cooking. Um, and I, I think we need to get back to what we're here for, which is cooking eating being a community <laughs> yeah. but but I do worry that right now the conversation nationally seems to be outside of our industry that restaurants are doing okay because they're some of them are doing um, to go they could all do to go and that's just we know that's not a viable option um, and it's not only not the volume that restaurants are used to doing monetarily, But we're missing that moment that that restaurants are really community builders. They're placemakers, and they're about an evening experience. It's frankly difficult for me to actually even purchase to go right now. It makes me sad to eat some of my favorite food out of a box. It's just Mm -hmm. not the same. I don't go to restaurants just to get a particular dish. I go to restaurants to have this all-encompassing 360 dining experience you know so i i want the conversation to get there and i'm not sure what those answers are i don't i'm not a genie i don't have them
0: no definitely i mean i i agree with you how the i guess the conversation is i mean i i would have i would have you you would figure um with our industry being as large as it is and how many people are employed um in it um you would think that it would hold a much bigger precedent or much higher level of importance to the people making these decisions i mean just like the disaster with the ppp loans uh i mean that you know regardless of who took what or whatever happened i mean just the i feel the lack of uh leadership through it in terms of the people giving the loans or our government issuing the loans like just that alone is enough to show that like there there really isn't a great understanding of what restaurants need during this time. And I honestly don't Absolutely. think there really ever was a res- like understanding of how hard restaurants struggle uh, in general.
1: I, I agree. And I also think what has been, you know, I've read a few things that the pandemic really isn't, it's like exposing disparities, right? It's exposing things, not necessarily um, – it's making them worse, but showing us what we we needed to see in some ways. And I think what has shocked me is that our government response is is corporate corporatization, right? It doesn't respond to independent, entrepreneurials or small business, and and so these independent restaurants just don't have a voice. You know, only the corporatization. It just makes me sad, frankly. And I um, I also, though, at the same time, take hope in the fact that the communities, I don't know how it is for you and your community, but in my community and in the communities a lot throughout the South and the chefs and restaurant owners that I'm in contact with, the community is rising up to really – you know, show love through uh, like Venmo tips, you know, and mm. um, buying to go, and all kinds of all kinds of other things. And then the restaurateurs are doing things to help others, even in this time of need. I mean, Steven Satterfield, one of the best chefs in the country at Miller Union, is in a state of he. He's in Atlanta, Georgia, and he has chosen not to open his restaurant right now, but even though Georgia is saying you can, because they haven't formed a plan. So he's taking yeah. this time to form a plan while at the same time, still cooking and delivering meals to people in, um, in the, the hospitals,
0: yeah. medical staff. No,
1: right. So he's doing two things at once, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: making a plan and doing and cooking for, you know, medical staff. So,
0: Yeah, it's astounding. I mean, that idea of community, I'm from Buffalo, New York. um, And I spent um, most of my or all of the beginning of my career in Buffalo. Um, I mean, I say that uh, very, you know, as only a couple years ago, um, I am only 22. So, um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, the first few years, uh, just working in Buffalo, and, you know, becoming a part of that food community, and then, you know, watching uh, GoFundMe uh, for the city of Buffalo for the chefs in that area. I mean, I know GoFundMe's mm-hmm. aren't the you know tried and true answer, but at least it's something. And I think I think the GoFundMe has already raised over twenty grand. Um, for the right, I mean, we're just seeing
1: where you know. I do feel you're right. I do feel like there isn't a voice. You know, no one's. I don't feel like even with the second wave that things are really being heard. And um, I would urge all your listeners, if because I know you got to be the people in the trenches out there, uh, go to Independent Restaurant Coalition. Um, I'm getting a lot of good information for them. And you can also follow them, I think, on Independent Restaurants. I don't know if you've checked that out, Ray. But there's a lot of, like, just information there. And you can really see that even with this second stimulus package, that it's just not quite addressing this situation, right? Like 11 million people.
0: Yeah. that's a lot of yeah. people yeah yeah well it's a lot of people and it's a lot of um, a lot of unanswered questions that people have um so yeah i mean but restaurant people just
1: get in there right and they just get in there and do a GoFundMe and and still cook for you know medical staff and try to figure out i mean we see, we're just seeing a lot of of restaurateurs step up and become community leaders even in this time so yeah it's good
0: yeah no i agree i mean i've been following the independent restaurant coalition i mean today they are within the last 24 hours they put out this amazing video of um you know it just starts with we are and then all these different things mm-hmm. like uh you know they touched upon in the video we are the ta- like table 10 where you propose to your significant other is like one of the mm-hmm. not exactly word like that and it really hits on um a big theme of mine uh for this podcast and for line cook thoughts which is you know more i think we take for granted uh the magic restaurants hold for people in terms of being that place where memories are created not just guests but also cooks i feel like a lot of um I feel like a lot of food service workers uh when they're down forget that like that meal is going to be a memory for someone like mm-hmm. that meal is going to be where Uh, a grandmother and a grandson going to a restaurant and share something and Mm -hmm. that grandson's going to remember that for the rest of his life but for you I mean not saying it's just your job but the impact could mean so much and it goes back to what you were saying about losing that right now and Mm -hmm. it's just tough it's tough seeing that kind of not in existence for our society not just here but around the world
1: yes yes very much so very much so and then for you that's how you interact with the world you know you're working. Mm-hmm. You work. That's how you communicate, you know, nonverbally through food. <laughs> um, so it's <laughs> – yeah. um, but you're communicating a point of view, right? So um, I think yeah. that, that that's a hard thing to not not have right now. I think it's, it's, it's unprecedented. I know that we say that a lot, but I'm glad – I, for one, am um, heartbroken. I'm a hundred percent heartbroken, and I, I'm glad that my heart is broken because it <laughs> means that I really invested in this, this, this culinary community that I I love so much, you know.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, same with you on feeling heartbroken, and just this, um, you know, like for me, like on my days off or, just in general i spend my money on going out to eat right you just want to do this right my sneakers are (laughs) yeah my sneakers are two years old um i mean i really try not to buy i mean sometimes i buy stupid stuff in terms of like stuff i don't need but i like really rarely go out for clothes Mm -hmm. um but food is usually what i probably spend most my money on and probably too much money on um before this all started but um yeah, I mean, it's my ho- going out to eat is my hobby. It's like what I love. It's what I exactly enjoy the most. I'm know? laughing
1: because I it I is now agree. gone. <laughs> I've never cooked this much <laughs> in my life, and I cook. You know, I've never cooked this much in my life. So for sure, yeah. And I, I miss that, but um, but yeah. So I think that the next part is for us to decide we can remake some of the things that were not working in our restaurants. If we have the opportunity monetarily, financially, we can make them better and stronger. But I think that's where the outcry is really lying right now is we don't want to lose that creativity and um, that Mm -hmm. opportunity to really be able to, to go back and make things stronger and better and, and um, you know, fix some fix even more of the ills you know so
0: yeah yeah definitely um but yeah i mean you know i'm sure we could talk about this all day we could, for good we reason could. Too, but
1: but this is line cook <laughs> <laughs> I do get into- although i don't have any clue why you would have me on because you have never seen me on the line and there was only one time i did the line and i melted down basically and <laughs> to have a tandem jumper in a way <laughs> it was a friday night Um, service yeah really yeah yeah all i had to do was cook an egg and it was too much i couldn't do it
0: (laughs) i mean it's tough it's a lot different than being from home but um no i mean i guess before you get into it that's a good point you bring up um yeah i mean i don't know like with this podcast it's grown so much um You know, it's obviously it started as line cook thoughts, but I never had the intention of just having cooks on. I wanted to have a, you know, a whole wide array of people on the show. And Mm -hmm. in the beginning, it was just cooks, and we got to get more and more people on the show. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I like to think of it as um, not just like the the thought of a cook, but also thoughts that would inspire a cook. Yeah. So I guess that I love would, that. Yeah. Th- that's where you would fall under the realm. <laughs>
1: well, that is so. a very nice thing to say. And during this time, you wonder. You know, you wonder, am I doing something that's like I'm editing a podcast before we started talking. I Fridays are the time that I put out podcasts. And so I'm in the middle of trying to write my script for the intro for a podcast that I'm going to put out later today. You know? And I mm-hmm. I wonder you know, how, how are we doing this? What, what happens next? But I just do it week by week and see what happens because if it makes me happy, you know, there you go. (laughs) Plus I have sponsors, you know, like ads. (laughs) So, so that helps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I'm uh, not, not quite there yet. Uh, but, um, no, I definitely understand the, uh, the need to edit and, you know, it, wonder if it's good or not. I mean, it's kind of funny. Most of my... A lot of the stuff that I... So, I, I mean, I I do solo episodes. I used to do them more often, but I really do enjoy talking to people. Um, and I don't know if this is the same for you, but for me, I mean, I love doing solo episodes. It's a way for me to gather my thoughts. But mm-hmm. talking into a microphone for an hour to so basically yourself takes a lot. For me, it takes a lot out of me. Um Because yes. I tend to, yes. you know, get really involved and invested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean... You know, just doing the podcast has always been fun, but it's it's weird to see what people have really enjoyed and what people haven't listened to as much. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I d- guess it just – you never know, so. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That's very but,
0: true. I don't know, as long as you have a good intention with it, I guess it works. If you're just like, you know, I, every podcast I put out, I hope it inspires someone in some way. And I think that's led to it being somewhat successful in terms of people coming back, so.
1: That's great. That's great. Yeah. Tension is everything.
0: Yeah, it is. Um and I did want to I did want to ask, you know, I we kind of got into why you started the podcast, but what was it like for you um kind of starting the podcast and approaching chefs? I mean, I know I have my own stories of how it was for me in the beginning. Um yeah. but I was really wondering how it was for you in terms of starting the podcast and getting the show on its feet.
1: Yeah. Um well, that that's a that's a really good question and it's actually multifaceted, but Um, I am kind of a hair on fire person, and when I get some kind of idea in my head, I just kind of go for it, and I had this idea to do a podcast because I kept saying, I'm leaving all these jewels on the ground of these great conversations with chefs and farmers, and I want to share those, so I had never used recording equipment, (laughs) I'd been on the radio before, <laughs> um, just as a guest or something, but I just knew that I, I mean, I was just going to record what I already did because I was a food writer and I interviewed people all the time. So I'm comfortable like yeah. in a kitchen, not, I'm trying to stay out of the way. I'm comfortable. I understand how, you know, how to get chefs to agree, you know, to open up to some extent, you know, I try to be respectful, but I, I, did feel like I had a skill set there and then when I started the podcast about you know the the momentum ran out you know like after you do the first few and you're like wow it's kind of time consuming and hard and (laughs) what is this Mm -hmm. about and I realized I didn't know anything um not only did I not know anything about the recording and how to build a podcast but um I didn't know that interviewing on air for an audience was very different than interviewing for an article. So I I had to basically start over. And the only way I knew that I had to start over is because I listened to my interviews at the beginning and I was like, whoa, these need a lot of work. Like I wouldn't listen to this show. And I'd already told everybody I knew that I was doing this, so it was embarrassing. And I had to just learn in public every week. So there was only so Good. I could get the audio or editing or um, interview styled for that week, and then I would just have to do it again. So I did it every week for two years, no break.
0: Wow. (laughs) And I mean, you've been able to grow an audience and obviously have some sort of success with it. I mean, what what is the? I guess what is the advantage of? Of I guess continuously doing it or making sure to. Stay, um, I guess involved with it every single week to have that consistency.
1: Well, what it is for me is I come from a publication background. I was online editor for a culinary magazine before this this freelance and doing the podcast. and I'd been on staff on and off staff. but having a, I treated building a podcast like a publication. So there's, there are deadlines, yeah. right? And I knew that like in order to build an audience, you had to be consistent. Um, so that was one thing. Um, another advantage is I, that idea that it takes 10,000 hours to become skilled at something is a true, honest thing. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, I already knew that because the way to get better at writing is to read a lot, but to also write a lot because it's practice. It's like making your me's, right? You just have to keep doing it. You know, it's repetition. You've got to understand there are forms to it. And there's a form the way a podcast is built. And once you decide your form, you need to practice with it. So I kind of had that mentality as well. Um, the third thing is I was scared if I stopped that no one would ever listen again. (laughs) So I had to keep putting out
0: things.
1: (laughs) Um, and then the last one really is that what came out of this, which is really wonderful for me personally, is it kept me engaged in the culinary landscape. Because I was always looking for that interview. And during an interview, I would hear something that would lead me to an article. So they both feed off of each other. And, you know, that's a pun. That's horrible. But that's the only way I can really express it. And through the five years of working with this podcast and freelance writing, I built my freelance career, you know, right? Or before all this happened, you know, some of my publications I wrote consistently for Condé Nast Traveler. I've had a piece in the Washington Post I write for Sever. I've written for Food and Wine Magazine. I've written for the Southern Foodways Alliance. So, you know, these are good things. And I feel like the podcast helps keep me fresh so that I can hear stories that my editors want to pitch to. So.
0: Okay. Um how, I do want to ask, you know, in terms of food freelance writing, how have you seen it affected at all yes. during this time? Yes. Um, I, I mean, do you see, Yes it do, like, do you think it's going to have a damaging effect, I guess, over the next few years? Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: Um, I don't know what that okay. is going to look like yet. I, right now, um, there's no way to not write about this, right? And there's not that mm-hmm. much to write about because we don't know. And we're kind of like in this purgatory, right? Of like, how do we go forward? So there's just not really that. There are nuances of the conversation. But, um, you know, right now, like I write for airline magazines, food, food around the world, you know, food in the South. Well, are we flying right now? No. So, yeah, that's it's super affecting me. It's affecting the public relations industries that support the restaurants, you know? And then it's – it's think about the food festivals that we would be having Aspen in a few weeks, in, in a week and a half, or the James Beard Awards. I mean, those are not just um, – they're not just small things. They're – you know, the Kentucky Derby has a huge food element to it. And so then – I, in a writing capacity, am there at these things in a support role. So all of those people, including me and the other writing folks, the editors and the magazines, are, you know, we're trying to all figure it out. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is, um, it's definitely tough, um, you know, because I feel like there's so many industries or so many jobs that we're not even going to realize. Uh, or some people won't realize if they're not a part of that. Um, so right. I definitely wish you the best with Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but just, like, thinking about, uh, I guess, food writing or, uh, I guess, food content mm-hmm. over the last few weeks. Has there been anything that you've really enjoyed or that you found to be really helpful or just has taken your mind off of things?
1: Yes. I mean... Yes. One, I've doubled down on the idea that I want to do this, which is probably the right, you know, kind of crazy. But the idea that this is my community, this is, you know, if you want to say like, if I'm a theater critic, this is my theater. So I'm not going to just give that up because the going's gotten tough for me. There's got There's still stories. Yeah. Food is still important. So how do I find those new stories? So um, I'm, a, I'm a more of a long-form writer. I don't, you know, write as much newsy stuff. So I write a lot about food systems and things like that. So that's really relevant now. So I need to start really digging into what am I seeing? How do I write about that? You know, because I feel like I do have something to contribute um, on – um, on another note, um, I don't think, um, the idea that I don't think it's necessarily an awesome thing to take, I think taking your mind off of it can be a slippery slope. Lots of times when things yeah. get hard, we just, we are overwhelming and say, this just, can't. I can't deal with this. I don't know what to do. If I don't know, if I can't be the voice for the, a voice in the industry as I have been when it was a, the good times, why, what in the world have I been doing? Right? So I need to figure that out. Um, But that being said, uh, Jose Andres cracks me up when he's cooking with his kids on Instagram. It's hilarious. And they listen to (laughs) Hamilton. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've enjoyed some of those Instagram live things a little bit. Um, and I've really (sighs) taken solace in actually cooking and I've learned how to cook a few recipes that I didn't before. And I feel like cooking has been the grounding. Cooking itself has been the grounding that I've needed to help me keep going. Not just sustenance, but like a couple nights ago I made a fish dish from a recipe because I interview a lot of people that have cookbooks on my show. So I have a lot of cookbooks Mm -hmm. and they're good, right? And I picked a recipe out that I hadn't made before that I had all the ingredients for. And, you know, you have to really concentrate to do that. And so that's really helped me kind of – take a breath and start again the next day. I think we are stronger than we give ourselves credit for and we're if we're living right now, we all have something that we we can do. We you know, this is this is our world. We can't blame other people. Yes, there are other people that have responsibility as well. But just blaming, saying I can't do this, I can't do that. Yes, that's true. Um, when we're, but there has to be something that you can affect in your own life. I don't know. Does that make sense? That might sound like too much, but
0: um, no, it definitely makes sense. That, you know, this is a tough situation, but I, we all do have the capacity in some way to have some sort of positive influence on our environment. Right?
1: We have to. We have to stand up and say, "This is. We do matter." And if you, we matter to ourselves, you know, here we are where we have the independent restaurant coalition, you know, or I can't say, all right, I'm done with this. This, this industry of freelance writing has already beaten me up. I was already bloody and beat before this happened, (laughs) you know, (laughs) doing all this other podcasts and all this other stuff, you know, but, um, but I love doing this, right? And there and there has to be some reason why the world needs this. So how can I help now? What can I do from my space now? I can't come and and build that food system back for you and your community. I can't. But I can try to highlight somebody who's doing something that maybe somebody if they read it can replicate. I i'm just trying to figure out i think it's important for us to figure out what our roles are and to not act like we don't have one because that kind of i mean you know nobody was really minding the shop that that all this was happening right (laughs) so so yeah
0: yeah no i totally agree um in the idea of everyone does have a role to play, and that's why it's been so important for me as well to share the story of cooks and people in the industry. Because I truly believe that I could have anyone on the podcast that cooks food, and they would have an interesting story to yes, tell or have yeah. some sort of positive influence.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I, and I appreciate you know I appreciate that because I feel the same way. So I think that we have that in common for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, I do want to get into the food of the South because i um i 'm obviously from Buffalo, new york, so i didn't i don't have that much experience in it and I just I guess kind of uh want to talk a little bit you know since you 've been able to interview Southern chefs and I know you 've had other chefs on maybe not necessarily from the South but specifically from Southern chefs, what is it about the South and chefs that you 're really proud of representing or that you really enjoy the most about that region of cooking and just the people in it?
1: Um well first, um, I grew up with a book called Anne of Green Gables. I don't know if you ever heard of that book before. And I have not. uh well, somebody maybe on the show has, but I don't expect you to. So, um and Anne it's a book and Anne was supposed to be a writer and she wanted to go off and be a writer and she wanted to write all these great adventure stories, but in reality what she became successful doing is to write what she knows. In this book, this was a childhood book, and honestly, I had to start from where I was. I'm not a I. am not I obviously am Southern. I know you can't tell from my accent, um, <laughs> but um, I wasn't. And I knew a lot more about okra than I knew about ramen, and I I just started from. Where I had the knowledge, and I'm very interested in the intersection of food and place. And so, as a southerner, I was fascinated that all this stuff that I had been eating all my life had stories behind it. You know that uh, yeah. that okra actually came from Africa. And that it came over with the enslaved Africans, that the rice in the city where that built the city I live in now, Charleston, South Carolina, was built on the knowledge of rice culture uh, of enslaved Africans, you know? And so Hmm. that kind of idea that opened a whole new world because it was almost like stories hiding in plain sight. Right. Like on your plate. And I was like, well, I just thought this was grits and these are good, <laughs> but there's a whole other story behind yeah. that. So it's kind of like meeting somebody that you knew, like realizing your grandma was actually, you know, a rocket. Then you're like, granny, I never knew. Right. So you just have these great stories. Yeah. Um, and, um, so, You know, the South is, I have had a lot of chefs on most recently Brian Dunsmore, who's from Atlanta, and uh, Chris Manuel, uh, Chris Tamanaga, who cooks at Manuela in LA. And they both are mentioning that, like, this is the first, you know, the South is a kind of America's, like, cuisine. John Current said something like one time, I think, that the South is like America's Italy. You know, it's where things kind of don't, you know, sense a place, your regionality matters. But one thing I really focus on in the Southern Fork is that there isn't one South. There are interpretations, you know, there's a geography, there's an idea. Um, and uh, I love that I've had Mirwan Rani who cooks at Chai Panee lives in Asheville and he is Indian American and Mm. considers himself Southern, you know? So, um, so to me, uh, the South is as diverse. Um, I love that intersection of cuisine, of, uh, culture of ingredients. And I think one thing that the South still does, I grew up this way and, um, and i see it in our best restaurants is that seasonality is really important
0: okay yeah i mean i think i think that was a big thing for me um leaving buffalo and kind of experiencing the rest of the country or really the rest of the world uh you know up in buffalo it's uh you get maybe if you're lucky 3 3 months of summer and mm-hmm. the rest varies from snow to heavy rain to maybe one day of great weather and, uh, and did you we, ask you know, your we have our ancestors foraging.
1: why in the world did you ever settle here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you do have to wonder. Um, that's a that's a pretty difficult question for a lot of people out there. <laughs> um, but uh, no, like you know, just uh, you know, there is food culture and there's there is food heritage mm-hmm. up there. Uh, but for my particular upbringing, there wasn't. I mean, there was some seasonality. Uh, my grandfather being. Uh, you know being italian and having that background um you know every summer canning tomatoes and you know going to the farmers market but when the farmers market wasn't open still getting the same produce mm-hmm. as if it was open you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you know still having that accessibility and i think when i started to venture out of new york really and see different parts of the country and see what was available when i mean i went out to california for a semester of school and um just mind blowing the difference in how people eat and what's available and what's ready and Mm -hmm. you know it's i think it's important to understand why where you come from people eat the way they do Mm -hmm. and what you know i i think like i guess what you were saying reminded me of myself in a sense of i remember going to culinary school and kind of being annoyed and uh you know being pissed off that like why didn't i have this like like I'm, out, I'm seeing Thomas Keller in California with all these great dishes, and why don't I have that? Mm-hmm. And then actually taking the time to think, well, look at what's available to the people up there. Mm-hmm. What's the cheapest option or the best way for people to get food in my region? Not that it's a bad thing, and there's a, it's a great food scene, but um, realizing that my upbringing, it wasn't possible for me to you know, get avocados from a tree in the backyard or get mm-hmm. citrus fruits from a tree in the backyard, and understanding that my heritage and where I come from is very, you know, much a part of who I am. And I can either embrace it and be okay with not having as much seasonality exposed to me while I was younger. Right. Or I could resent it and not have my own identity. So Exactly.
1: Yes. Think, exactly. Yeah.
0: And I think Sean Brock is someone who, um and I know he's had this inspiration in a lot of people, but mm-hmm. he was one of the first chefs for me that really taught me to uh embrace where i'm from you know there's an interview i was listening to where no matter where you are you should embrace where you're from you should be looking at old family recipes and it was really him who kind of allowed me to have that acceptance of being actually pretty proud of what my family or what my grandparents did cook when i was growing up and not feeling resentment because i didn't have uh what i thought then was a cool culinary upbringing
1: Right. Right. I mean, you know, we, our idea of somebody's other, the grass is always greener kind of thing. But, um, yeah, Sean is an amazing, he's an amazing chef and he's an amazing mind, his creativity in his mind. And, you know, one thing that Sean really brought to out more, and I love seeing is really that idea of, chefs doing research and delving in and not just you know cooking from that knowledge and not just um you know just figuring out a dish and cooking it i love that it has has a context like i was saying
0: earlier so yeah 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 Yeah. well context and like you said intent is everything so um yeah yeah um but yeah, I mean, I guess that was my, uh, the reason why I wanted to ask you about the Southern cuisine and why I kind of look up to it is it helped me kind of, the idea of it helped me embrace my own right uh, heritage of cooking. Um, I guess that one of my last questions um, moving forward is, you know, as we uh, start to see um, more and more people at home cooking and, you know, sourdough is a trend. Yeah, totally. Up coffee is a trend now. Growing scallions is a trend. <laughs> Thank um, you, David Are you excited a. at all for <laughs> – yeah, I know, right? Are you excited at all for um, the – I guess I, I would hope to see an uprising of people cooking at home.
1: Right. I do think that um, there's something really empowering um, about being able to cook for yourself, even if it's only a few dishes and even if it's it's like – just being able to complete a sourdough starter from starter to a loaf of bread. There's something that's, that's really satisfying about that. And, you know, I don't know how to cook that many things. I would prefer, like, I don't care about making ribs at home ever, but I love ribs. If somebody makes ribs and I can buy them, I will, but I don't want to learn how to do that. But I do think it's really important for me to know how to make a roasted chicken, you know, so I've learned how to do that so I can have that for myself. Um, I, I hope that um, this will put a spotlight on really the ingredients and um, in our, in our food systems. Um, I'm excited about the possibility that more people are purchasing from local farmers, it seems, in this moment. Um, than before. They seem to be trusting those sources more than ever. Um, And I think when you Mm -hmm. actually begin to cook, you really start to look at ingredients in a different way. And then maybe we'll just, um, we'll see that kind of meme or kind of idea fade from American culture where people make fun of the fact that we list the farmers on the menu. (laughs) um yeah. like it's pretentious and bad um when in reality the more you cook you know that that's just as vital right as how you're going to getting that right ingredient is just as important as how you're going to manipulate that ingredient so um i think cooking more people cooking at home will be a good opportunity to have more meaningful conversation in the restaurants once we start to figure out what
0: those look like. Okay. Yeah, I think so too. And I think a lot more of the gastro or consumers of the food industry are going to be more well-educated and more well-versed. And I think, I would hope that there's more empathy towards people working in the food industry. Because um, I know I've seen a lot of blog posts of and uh, Instagrams of people trying to cook things that they love and you know, not to say fail, but realizing how Dude, difficult it can be. Sometimes.
1: Totally. I mean, like, how many of these parents are you seeing? Like, I love you, teachers. I love you. Please, <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. need to have this back. And I think that's really true. I mean, like, I've I'm often in my kitchen going, "Man, this is hard." <laughs> if I want to yeah. do this this complicated thing, you know, like it's oh my god, this is like multi stepped, and I'm not even trying anything difficult, so. Yeah, I I think there hopefully this will be um um a garnering of respect for ingredients and technique that we haven't seen before. So,
0: I mean, last week I was really craving ravioli, and um, or I guess a week and a half ago, and I was at the grocery store, and there was ravioli already made, and I was like, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a chef. You have you know you you have to go home and make this, and you if you want the ravioli, you're going to have to work for it so yeah. <laughs> uh, i've been forcing myself to really cook as much as possible um, yeah i have so. to re i have to
1: revisit pie crust um i have to i've had to lay that to the side for a while because i've not done it correctly yet and every time i sh- yeah. I post how i failed on instagram people would dm me with how i need to do it <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's sweet, yeah. but also, like, I just want to eat pie that has a good crust. <laughs> Can somebody just bring me pie yep. with a good crust? So, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to touch on um, in our episode uh, now? I mean, I've kind of gone through the questions I've had. Uh, um, I don't know if you had anything else you'd like to talk about.
1: Well, um, I have a question for you Um, as somebody who's very, Mm -hmm. very interested in this as a culture, um, cooking as a culture and cooking as a passion and like your hobby is going out to eat. How much are you, you know, engaging in this world right now? Um, Are you, are you like listening to more podcasts? Are you doubling down and reading more cookbooks? I mean, how, how is it? How is it?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I can say, uh, I, I guess, I mean, I, it's funny because it's actually a, a question I keep getting asked. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, to start, I've been cooking a lot more, obviously. Um, every Sunday, I'm challenging myself to make a new shape of pasta. So this last, last week was garganelli. Uh, the week before uh, was uh, ravioli, but uh, just doing a different method. Um So just trying to cook new things, uh, mostly, the most interesting thing I like to cook is pasta for me, so that's been a focal point. Um, I've been learning the guitar, um, so just, you know, since quarantine started, I think I've put in, like, 15 hours on my app that I'm learning from, which has been fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been teaching myself about wine. Uh, I do have my wine textbook from school that I'm finally cracking open, and I've read a lot of Chef-driven uh, books. Um, I just finished uh, Grant Ackett's Life on the Line, uh, which has been really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm reading Adam Platt's uh, The Book of Eating right now, uh, restaurant critic, very important for the last uh, couple of decades, and yes. kind of wanted to get his story in. Mm-hmm. Podcast-wise, um, Justin Kana is a creator I always listen to, um, but I really like to listen to more, so I guess, what I would call a business podcasts or things that are more into like um I guess I just business marketing. Uh, there is that uh side of me that really does enjoy I think that's why I do this and why I enjoy it a lot. Um mm-hmm. what people like, what people uh you know want to understand and I just really think it's cool to um to kind of be involved in not only cooking food mm-hmm. but also understanding why people would want to eat food or why they would want to purchase a Mm -hmm. good that has to do with food so Mm -hmm. that's been it
1: well that is a lot especially while producing podcasts so congratulations so good
0: (laughs) yeah i mean like you were saying i'm also one of those people who if i'm really interested in something i really like to jump in and go for it even though sometimes i'm not always prepared or i don't you know do my research before beforehand so
1: yeah, that can be a good and a bad thing, right? <laughs> um, I think <laughs> yeah. for, I think for me with the podcasting, you know, it, it's been very humbling uh, to learn in public. You know, I think that probably has some connections to being a cook in a restaurant. You know, you have to learn in public for dishes. You know, with coworkers, and um, as you move move up, you know, you have to you have to take a lot of feedback um, and Podcasting has really provided that for me, um, but it's also provided me opportunities like this and connecting. And um, it's not just a personal thing; it's really fun, right? When somebody you don't know has listened mm. to your podcast and sent you a note, That's just never gets old for me. So, um, so that's that's exciting, and I like the idea that um, that I can share my culture you know, the food of my culture as well, you know, Southern culture. Mm-hmm. So, and try to change yeah, people's definitely. minds about it. You know, I do have all of my teeth and I don't wear overalls ever. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. Or hoop skirt uh, Yeah, definitely. By, com- by the other side of that. No hoop skirts and no overalls. So there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good um awesome well uh i kind of end all of my podcast the same uh, for people who are on it for the first time um i'm sure if you follow along you know that i call the listeners and everyone in this community the line cook nation i just wanted to know what it means for you to be a part of a group of chefs cooks and other restaurant workers that are interested in uh, connecting and growing and learning from each other
1: um it feels very important and actually i feel very honored to be part of of this so um, for me, I think that that's what cooking is. It's a conversation and it's relationship between, um, uh, the person cooking and the person eating. And that's a constant, um, evolution. And, uh, the best food cities in the world, the, the best chefs in the world learn from each other. Um, they like to share. Um, and I, that's why I love this, um, this community so much and the fact that you all are so invested in something that right now is giving you great pain um is uh very brave
0: yeah well i agree and yeah well thank you so much for coming on and hopefully we'll have you back on and yeah like you said this thanks it means a ton to have you on
1: thank you ray i really appreciate this and i'm glad that we worked it out
0: (laughs) yeah of course